being a Christian means having an easy life. You'll be popular. Money will come pouring in. Everything you touch will prosper. All your family troubles will disappear. You'll lose weight, look better, and have perfect health. Being a Christian pretty much means winning at the game of life. Or maybe it's closer to the opposite. Well, Christianity is so often sold as something that will make your life better, Jesus compares Christianity to a death march. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, how on earth does Jesus expect to win converts like that? If these words of Jesus were preached in the nearest megachurch, there'd be lattes spraying out of every mouth. Jesus said what? Take up your what? But even we Lutherans who love talking about the cross don't exactly excel at talking about this part of the cross. The true imitatio Christi. Take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. A cross a Roman instrument of torture. Picture it. Rough, heavy wood, full of splinters. Take up your cross daily, he says, and follow me. Of course, the entire point and purpose of taking up a cross is to be nailed to it and to die upon it. Jesus is calling us to a life marked by suffering and death, and ultimately, he's calling us to follow him into death. G.K. Chesterton famously said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it's that Christianity has been found difficult and not tried. Jesus never, not even once, promises that the Christian life will be fun or easy. So why do we expect it to be? Sin self-interest. And when our expectations aren't met, when life isn't going the way that we think it ought to be going, how angry we get. How often and how easily we rail against those around us, or become upset with God, or become depressed. Because life isn't what we expect it to be. But when did God ever promise you the life that you expected. This requires a change of heart, a change of mind. And as we repent and crucify our own expectations, we begin to see that something beautiful was obscured. All our anger with God and other people and life not meeting our expectations was keeping us. It was keeping us from seeing that God really is in control. And he really is good. And he really does know what's best. We can say, he never promised me the life I expected, but he did promise to work all things for my good. Jesus never promised that life would be fun or easy, but he did promise to be with me, even to the very end of the age. When we let go of our expectations, we can suddenly see what God has given and does give. When we let go of how we think life ought to be, we can see that Jesus is leading us in a way that 
well, we never would have chosen to go, but a better way still, the way of the cross. How refreshing that Jesus never, not even once, tries to sell us on anything or sugarcoat anything. He shows no interest whatsoever in bribing us or cajoling us or entertaining us or schmoozing us so that we would finally follow him. No, he offers only one way, the way he himself has gone, the way of the cross. So that really is the theological context of our gospel lesson from Luke read earlier this morning, because Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem, which of course means going to the cross. As Jesus begins his journey to the cross, we begin to learn what this way of the cross is really like. What's the very first thing that happens to Jesus as he begins his journey on the way to, to the cross? He's rejected. And that ought to tell us something about how it's going to go for us as well. Now the disciples, James and John, almost humorously wanted to know if they could call down fire from heaven and destroy the village that had rejected Jesus and them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. The way of the cross is not the way of revenge. So already we've, lear we've learned two things about the Christian life, the way of the cross. In the first place, we will be rejected. In the second place, that's no cause for revenge. What follows next are three encounters with Jesus, all of which are too profound for me to summarize in this 15-minute sermon. I could expand it if you like. And all of which teach us something about following Jesus on the way to the cross. So I've highlighted some of the main themes. First, someone says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responded, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no way, nowhere to lay his head. To follow Jesus means having no home in this world. We have to let that really sink in. And we have to let this put to death our expectations that are to the contrary, how we think life should be. To follow Jesus means having no home no dwelling, no permanence here in this world. Next, to another, Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What can this mean? To follow Jesus means a radical, almost unthinkable redefinition of our perceptions and priorities. There's nothing inherently wrong, of course, with burying one's father, but if one must choose between burying the dead and proclaiming the kingdom, you have Jesus' answer. Our entire lives, our entire purpose for being here in this world, rather than there with Jesus in heaven, is so that here in this world we might proclaim the kingdom of God. The reign of Christ, crowned with thorns, that sinners might be saved. That those who are dead in their trespasses, as we were, might be raised to newness of life. And last, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Trying to 
plow while looking backward is like trying to drive on the freeway while looking backward. It's not going to go very well. To follow Jesus, then, means eyes forward, eyes on him, no matter what gets left behind. So as Jesus sets his face and begins journeying to the cross, he teaches us much about what it means to follow him on that way of the cross. It is, in many ways, a daily crucifixion of all our earthly expectations and personal priorities. And Jesus makes no apologies. If we would be truly free, we must even be free of our own expectations and our own thoughts about how life is supposed to go. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Hidden in the way of the cross are deep and immeasurable blessings, and hidden in Jesus' words to the three would-be followers are also deep and immeasurable blessings. But they're not explicit. They're hidden. And they wait for you to discover them yourself. Perhaps you already have. When Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke sees this as a fulfillment of an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah chapter 50. Jesus is the suffering servant who speaks these words. I have not rebelled. I have not drawn back. I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to the pluckers. I did not hide my face from mockings and spit. The Lord Yahweh will help me. Therefore, I will not be ashamed. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Jesus sets his face, which means he will let nothing stop him from going to the cross for us, for you and for me. Because unless he makes his way there, there will be no way for us. Unless he goes to the cross, not a single sinner can be saved. We would all be lost, rejected, and exiled, and justly so. How glad and thankful we can be each day of our lives that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Because, boy, have we failed to meet his expectations. Jesus sets his face to go to the cross in pure mercy and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to make a way of escape from this world of death, to carve a path that leads from this valley of sorrows to our loving and tender-hearted Father in heaven. But in order to do this, Jesus must go to the cross. That's the only way any person could ever be saved. And we ought to think on this as often as we can. Because the cross of Jesus is the only way, the only way that you and I can be reconciled to God. Where do our expectations and our views and opinions of how life should go, where do these come from? We said earlier sin, that's true. But we might also say our selfishness, our self-centeredness. And these are so much worse than we think them to be. Our sinful nature goes so much deeper and is so much more perverse than we think it to be. It's one of God's great mercies to us that he doesn't allow us to see ourselves as we truly are. If we could, we'd be utterly horrified at how ugly sin has made us.
how great your sins must be and mine as well, that the Son of God must not only suffer the physical torture and scourging and crucifixion, but also the shame and defeat and humiliation of the cross. And not only this, but also the immeasurable mystery of being forsaken by God. The cross shows us that our selfishness and our shallowness is far more than we can really comprehend. And at the very same time, the cross shows us that the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the long-suffering of God, the tender-heartedness of God, and the selflessness of God are also far more than we can really comprehend. For Jesus is the Lamb that God himself has sent, and God's only begotten and beloved Son he did not spare. And Jesus himself gave up his own life for us. Just as Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so God desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that most certainly includes you. God has so loved you. God has so desired your salvation. And in Christ and Him crucified, God has removed from you all obstacles, all your sins, all your guilt, and all condemnation. They have all been taken away by Jesus on the cross. And now as we walk on the way of the cross, this is our greatest strength. The knowledge that God our Heavenly Father truly does love us. He truly does forgive us. And He truly will complete the good work that He has begun in us and see us there to Himself in our heavenly home. To walk in the way of the cross, however imperfectly, is the greatest honor and glory that has ever been given to a man. To walk in the way that the very Son of God Himself has walked. And to conquer sin and death ourselves, for Christ has given us the victory. So let's drop all our ugly expectations, along with our bitterness, resentment, and disappointment, and let's take up the cross of Jesus instead. He will lead us in a way that we did not know, a way that in the end was in fact immeasurably better. So together then, with eyes forward and with eyes on Jesus only. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.